Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Passano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday night segment of The Outer Realm. We are broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 from the Gulf Coast and 107.7 FM from New Orleans. We're fully sponsored by the amazing people over at Folgers Coffee who have been a part of our journey since the very beginning. So big thank you to Folgers. We thank you and appreciate you so very much. Also big thank you to Justice Snicker, a.k.a. Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon and award-winning composer of Halloween horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, who basically can be found on any of your favorite music blah, platforms. Guys, it's early for me today. <laughs> Anyway, also big thank you to Steve McGinnis, the artist behind all of our banners here at the show. Also specializes in the horror genre and does amazing commission pieces. So check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Tonight we welcome back the return of Alexander Sheskiewicz. I really hope I did not butcher that. You can just get on me when I bring you on. Yay. <laughs> um, you guys will probably remember him from October the 4th of last year when he was on talking about his book, Deja Vu, Has Everything Already Been? Fabulous archive. It did exceptionally well. Uh, I have no doubt that this show is going to be just as good. He's going to be discussing Atlantis and its global connections with various ancient civilizations. And y'all know how I love ancient civilization talk. It's one of my favorite topics. So without further ado, Alexander, how are you? Hello, everyone. And thanks for having me on your show. I'm really fine. And I hope that our today's conversation will be really, really good and very, very interesting. I'm really hyped about it. Oh, me too. Especially when you gave me um, a little bit of insight as to what we we're going to talk about. I thought, oh my God, yes, this is going to be completely outstanding. Uh, again, one of my favorite topics. So the last time you were on was October the 4th of last year. Um, the show did phenomenally well. The archives did really, really well. Um, and we were discussing your book, which, you know, to me was just, I, I, I there it is. Here I am. See, I'm glad you're on top of this, Alexander. <laughs> We're doing a pre-record, and of course, I'm just a little bit off my game. So, Deja Vu has everything already been in search of a previous lost civilization. Um, I find, I know I mentioned it the first time, but based on the conversation and based on everything, you know, that I had a gander at, it was, it's phenomenal. Here you are, this young man with an, with this huge um like the content here is just unbelievable. So can you just recap a little bit on the book, what brought you to write it and so on and so forth. And then we're going to jump right in to the new stuff. Yes. My book is called Deja Vu Has Everything Already Been because 
of course, the main topic is the lost civilizations and the hidden lost history of humanity. But why deja vu has everything already been? Because after an analysis of hundreds of ancient texts and all of other pieces of evidence, I found out that there are plenty of similarities between those descriptions of lost civilizations and modern world. There are many parallels between that, so I thought that a title deja vu would be nice to you know experience a real deja vu like things that we think are solely limited to the modern world happened already in a very very distant prehistory so it is a deja vu has everything already been because i mentioned that most probably our history is cyclical and i found plenty of the evidence that there were some periods during our history that were repeated in the next zodiac cycle. So everything is cyclical, everything is according to a specific clock that is connected to an astronomical phenomenon called the precession of the equinoxes, and all of that knowledge was known by our ancient ancestors. Mm. So I connect the thread of the threat of lost civilizations like Atlantis, Lemuria, Mu, and all of that lost history, Pyramids, Megalis, with the idea of the cyclical time. Because right. nowadays, we are thinking when it comes to the mainstream scientific narrative about our history, we are yes. thinking that everything is a constant progress. That, you know, we all evolved from hominids through, you know, simple cavemen, hunter-gatherers, through the first settlements, then first cities, civilizations, etc., up until, you know, the modern world of advancement. And we think a little bit arrogantly that, you know, it is a constant progress, constant development. But throughout right. our history, there are plenty of different views on our history, some of which were totally contradictory with that view of modern academia. Because, for instance, in the Middle Ages, the view was totally opposed. Not a constant progress, but a constant fall from the Garden of Eden and everything would be worse and worse and the only way out would be to be very spiritual and very religious and to sacrifice our life totally to the church when it comes to, mm. of course, the Middle Ages of Europe. So mm -hmm. we see that throughout our history, there were plenty of different views on our history. And during the antiquity, the view was about the cyclical time, which in my opinion is, you know, not overly arrogant and optimistic because of being overly optimistic may sometimes lead to our fall because we can, you know, overlook some mistakes, some problems, you know, going forward, forward. And those problems can grow and grow bigger and bigger. And these problems can completely destroy our lives, our civilizations. So I think that, you know, the modern view is overly optimistic, maybe right. even arrogant. Of course, the view of the fall was too pessimistic. There was no hope. People were, were actually hopeless during the Middle Ages in many parts of Europe. And they were, you know, closed. Their mind was closed. They were doing no progress. And we see that because we see that there was a progress in the antiquity and then the middle ages was an era not only of stagnation but also of regress of downfall of all the sciences and stuff like that that was already developed in the ancient times right. and a different view that 
I consider in my book Deja Vu has everything already been is a view of cyclical time. That there are ups and downs, just as you know, there are winters, there are seasons in on our planet, and just mm-hmm. like there are cycles to almost everything. So there are cycles of time, and in my book I provide with plenty of information and plenty of evidence about that and right. the last thing i can mention about my book is that as you mentioned it is a vault of knowledge vault of information there is. tons of sources tons of bibliography footnotes etc you know a material that could be covered in like 10 of episodes that we are doing here yes <laughs> and yes and i uh, wrote my book just at the age of 17 so that was to me a very very good achievement and then I self-translated it into English but it can be read very smoothly not only you but also many of other like podcasters and also content creators really praise that you know it doesn't seem to be that much translated so right. i am really proud of this book and i hope that everyone will enjoy it because actually i am selling a lot of those books here in poland because i'm from poland right. and i have plenty of emails text messages and stuff like that of people that are telling that it is a very very great book so it's I a wonderful really book it's brilliant it. you should be proud of it uh it's just such an achievement a 17 17- years old it's it's just it's a brilliant book it's a brilliant mind and i commend you on it and i highly recommend it and um you know i can't even imagine the whole translation of this book with all of this information would probably have taken just as long uh to do as to, to write it initially mm-hmm. i would imagine yes it took me you know to because the translation may be fast but and quick but the problem is to actually made it a very nice to read because you can you know actually translate it but it won't be that you know fun that entertaining but also not that you know flowy so the the most like the 80 percent of the translation is actually making like minor things and changing it after it is already translated in order for it you know everything to be read I say in flow because some books are like you're reading and then you need to pause because, you know, those sentences and those words aren't like sticking together. So the main thing is, you know, like those final finishing touches are everything that matters in reading a book because, you know, a book can have plenty of valuable information, but it is also an art to make a book that can be read in a very interesting and, you know, very nice way. So that was the biggest thing about it. It it definitely flows, Alexander. It flows beautifully. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Yes, but, uh okay, I want to you know, talk about, because we will talk about Atlantis, but the Atlantis is only a single thread in the entire problem of the lost history of humanity. Right. Because I started, you know, being interested in those topics that led to me writing this book just at the age of 17. I was very into history during my middle uh, middle high school. Mm -hmm. I was attempting several competitions and stuff like that. I was reading, learning a lot at that time. But I started questioning things because I found out that, you know, the 
the first civilizations that the official narrative considers to be the first, like ancient Sumer, ancient Egypt, ancient India, all of those civilizations weren't considering themselves to be the actual first civilizations, but to be either the descendants of some previous cultures or to be much older, like the, those civilizations, like Egypt much older, Sumer much older, India much older. So I became fascinated by it because I thought, why are we not taking into the consideration what people who are closer to those very, very ancient times were telling about themselves? Mm -hmm. And why are we you know, telling about what we know about it? Right. I actually found it a little bit arrogant and especially because I, will, I needed to learn a lot about history and about different scientific discoverers, discoveries. And I learned a lot about the history of the history of history as a science, you know, the history of different discoveries that were being made throughout the centuries. Right. And what I found out is that our view of the history, as I mentioned, that the first civilizations were the Sumerian one, Egyptian and Indian, this view was actually formulated in 1950s. Hmm. But before that, we had a completely different point of view on our history, just as I mentioned, the entire narrative of the fall during the Middle Ages and now the constant progress, everything was different. Right. Even, you know, during the times of the Renaissance and, you know, the late 1600s, 1700s, we actually thought that the first civilization were those of ancient Rome and ancient Greece. And, right. you know, we had some evidence for other civilizations like ancient Egypt, but it wasn't until the discoveries, the expeditions of Napoleon Bonaparte that we started being more and more interested in those civilizations right. and we completely ignored them. Right. And another interesting stuff is that about the ancient Sumer, which is now considered to be the first actual civilization, yes. we haven't found almost, we didn't have almost any evidence for ancient Sumer up until 1840s which is like 180 years ago. So imagine right. 200 years ago when you almost nothing about the ancient Sumerian civilization. So right. I thought to myself, if, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have any evidence for those civilizations, but we had plenty of mentions about them. You know, mm -hmm. even in the Bible, there is a mention that Abraham came from the Sumerian city of Ur. So yes. I thought to myself, could it be a similar case with Atlantis that we haven't discovered it yet? You know, the final evidence for Atlantis. But Do you think it, it's the fact that it hasn't been discovered or it just hasn't been made public to the masses? Huh. I mean, I, I'm sure there are people, there's a strong belief that, it, especially way, way back in the day, especially through biblical times, I mean, you had to, not everybody knew how to read, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. but, but, the the more elite people, the higher society people, knew how to read. They were more educated, um, and you had certain groups that would keep a lot of that knowledge to themselves. Or maybe they just under didn't understand what they were looking at, because a lot of this stuff is hidden in plain sight. It's really hard to 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 look at it and say, well, we, we I don't know necessarily that we didn't know. Atlantis is a bit different because people have different perceptions about Atlantis, and and really. Mm -hmm. It's an anomaly, much like ancient Lemuria. I mean, we know more about where Lemuria Mu was than we do about where Atlantis allegedly mm -hmm. was. 
Yes, it is a very interesting idea and a very nice parallel to the Middle Ages, you know, during which the elites, the people from the church knew a lot and, mm. you know, poor peasants weren't that knowledgeable. And this idea can be extended into secret societies, not right. only Freemasons or some Illuminati, but right. to overall to secret societies. Right. There was a great scholar in the previous century, Manly Palmer Hall, maybe you know him. He was a great scholar who actually traveled the entire world in search for secret esoteric knowledge. He was also a Freemason himself of a very, very high degree, I think even of the 33rd. Mm. And he studied, you know, from all around the world, all the sources, not like some people focus on Egypt or for or on Middle East and stuff like that. He was trying, you know, to find the truth, to find found the knowledge. And what he found is that not only Freemasons, but lots of secret societies mm -hmm. were, you know, thinking of themselves to be people of the heritage from Atlantis, you know, people who were you know, preserving the knowledge of the esoterics of Atlantis throughout the ages, from the dark times of the church of the Middle Ages and stuff like that. Mm. Many of the secret societies, it was found by Manly Palmer Hall, believed to be like the descendants of the Atlanteans who after the catastrophe, you know, were to keep the knowledge because yes. it was very dangerous and stuff like that. Yes. And it is a very interesting thread because, you know, it is a similar to the church hiding knowledge from the peasantry and you <laughs> right. know i think that it may be good that those secret societies were keeping their knowledge because throughout the times of the christianity they would be taken as heretics and you know they would burn somewhere on you know the pile of wood of course but i think that hiding knowledge especially in the oh, modern exactly. times is a very bad practice to you know actually be doing and you it is the same as i mentioned it is now in my opinion arrogant to think that we know so much about our history that we sh when it comes to mainstream of course mainstream things we that know so little yes mainstream things that we know so much about our history that we can exclude any possibility of atlantis or lemuria they it is you know approximately their position on Atlantis or Lemuria. They aren't saying as maybe it existed, maybe not. Most of the skeptics are telling us that we know so much about our history and prehistory that the Plato's Atlantis is a fairy tale. So mm -hmm. I think that this case is arrogant and also the case of hiding knowledge from the peasantry is arrogant. And you know, it is like an intellectual superiority to others. And I think, okay, throughout the ages, throughout the Inquisition, the times of the inquisition it was good to hide because you know that knowledge would be either way destroyed and the people would be killed by the inquisition but right. nowadays i think that such practices are very bad well i agree with you and and i think now with technology and i truly believe things again uh just to reiterate things are hidden in plain sight we didn't have things like submarines or you know, un remote control units that could go down to, let's say, like Titanic. Nobody ever thought they'd find it, but they had ROVs that could make their way down that far. But the same technology is being used to find ancient civilizations. Of course, you look at Atlantis and they figure, oh, no, it's been 
forever they thought it was up off the coast of Santorini. I've been, I went, I explored. And, you know, you look at the likely site being off the Azores, you know, and they're, they're now researching all of this because they found a pyramid there, roughly 20,000 years old, even older than what Atlantis was said to be. But then now, you know, they're starting to look at the fact that Atlantis may have been more of a global phenomenon and not just one small island. How many other ancient civilizations are are the same? Because they seem many civilizations seem to crisscross, you know, across the globe at times where we seem to think it's not possible. Hence, why you and I are having this incredible conversation. Yes, we've got several <laughs> different topics here. We've got, you yeah. know, the the underwater exploration, one yes. thing, the second thing, the Atlantis, the third thing, the skeptics with their Santorini and other yes. theories that are impossible, of course. And the other is the connections of global civilizations yes. and their similarities. But let's start with the Atlantis and let's do it. All of those topics would become clear to us after we analyze it. And of Perfect. course, let's start with the mainstream, with Plato's two dialogues, Timaeus and Critias, in which he, of course, describes Atlantis. Yes. And you mentioned the theory of Santorini. There are other also theories like on Malta and other, you know, yes, islands. Binami, the Binami wall out in, yeah, the uh, This is, yeah. you know, the the more, let's say, progressive. But when it comes yes. to those conservative academic versions are often, you know, solely focused on the Mediterranean Sea and islands from there. But right. after what Plato is telling us in the dialogue, we will see that it isn't the case. And he was not mentioning the Mediterranean because for first, he mentions that the Atlantis existed beyond or in front of the pillars of Hercules, which is the the Gibraltar and yes. we have plenty of other so the Strait of Gibraltar which connects of course the Mediterranean which is the end of the Mediterranean and which right. connects the Mediterranean Sea with the Atlantic Ocean and he mentions that it was either in front or beyond depending on the translation of course so we've got it and it is a fact that the pearls of Hercules were the Gibraltar because we have other sources even Herodotus is saying that this area and we can even even if we do not believe him that it was Gibraltar we can think of how he describes it on the map and we will see that it is nearby the Atlas Mountains <coughs> which again Atlas Mountains you mm -hmm. know on the upper on the north Africa and Atlantis, Atlas Atlantis, another similarity, but we'll come to those similarities later. But we see that it is Strait of Gibraltar and it is beyond them. Another right. thing is that Plato calls that Atlantis was on what we call Okeanos, ocean, Okeanos. And mm -hmm. we know that according to Greeks, they knew how the Mediterranean was, you know, they knew the lands of the Mediterranean very well, and mm -hmm. they called the Okeanos what was beyond that, because they, you know, we've got different opinions if they knew other lands, if not, but on most of the map, it is the Mediterranean, according to Greeks, some, you know, Asia Minor and stuff like that, and then Okeanos, according to them, was everything beyond. They believed that, you know, beyond the Mediterranean and all of the lands that are covering surrounding the Mediterranean mm. Sea, there is an Okeanos, so, you know, like infinite waters, you know, some right. unknown waters. Right. So Plato mentions 
straight off the Gibraltar and this ocean. So why skeptics are even considering some islands on the Mediterranean? It is, I think, really, really stupid. And it is not with accordance to Plato's statements. You know, mm -hmm. it is fantasizing, you know, and changing everything. We've got some, as I mentioned, clear points, clear facts that Plato is telling us. We've got the Straits of the Gibraltar, the Pillars of Hercules. We've got the ocean. Kianos ocean so it is beyond the Mediterranean Sea and mm -hmm. another very cool idea is that Plato is telling us that beyond this ocean there is a continent that surrounds everything and if we take a look at the map from the perspective as if we were traveling from the Mediterranean out through the Straits of the Gibraltar into the ocean into the Atlantic Ocean we will see that all of the Americas are like a continent that surrounds this Atlantic and right. the only like free spaces is, uh, you know, on down on the southern part, you know, with the Antarctica and on the northern part with the Arctic Ocean. So these are only like open paths and all of the Americas, like the northern, the Mesoamerica and the southern Americas are surrounding it. So Plato in his dialogues is telling us true geographical facts that you know we've got the strait of the gibraltar then we've got the ocean the atlantic ocean and then we've got americas that surround it mm -hmm. which is of course uh, very often you know thinking like oh it is a fantasy of plato but according to me it is a very very specific and you know very accurate data about geography so probably plato knew about the existence of america which is also a very like interesting fact so right. look at this mm -hmm. and also when it comes to like theories of santorini and others there mm. is always like a change of dates because Plato is telling us that Atlanteans were existed or were destroyed. It also is not very clear, but existed somewhere about 9,000 years before Solon, which is about 600 BC. So 9,600 BC, there was Atlantis. Mm. And you know, the theory of Santorini is changing all of those facts to fit with the theory. It is really unscientific because <laughs> Plato is telling us things yes. and uh, I am a scientist, I am proposing that it is Santorini or other island on the Mediterranean Sea, so I change the location, I change right. the meaning of the Hercules pillars, I change the date, I, it is, you know, I was very interested in that, I, I am laughing about that in my book because According to them, it was the Thera volcano that erupted and caused the fall of the Atlanteans. But they mentioned <laughs> that it is one zero nine thousand six hundred without zero. But it still isn't it. You know, you are right. changing the date of Solon. You are changing the date by one zero. You are changing all of the data, and that's so we should be just like scrubbing that completely. It's like no, not Santorini. So just. You know, we have to get off of Santorini, basically, because I think we've been yes. conditioned to think this is the biggest possibility. Yes, exactly. Because I, as I mentioned, right. it's not only the Strait of the Gibraltar, but also a mention of the ocean of the Okeanos and all right. of other geographical, topological like things. And even Plato in other like part of his dialogues mentions that uh, Atlanteans were actually invading the Mediterranean. So from where did they come from the Santorini and they were invading yes. it 
it's it's well if, if you're gonna do that you may as well just go down to you know uh, to to africa because he also mentions the uh, the mauritania in, in africa which brings you down mm -hmm. pretty close to the eye of the sahara which see i mean it's pretty compelling as well when you start mm -hmm. looking at everything because it's probably been there what eleven thousand plus years ago it would make a lot more sense to Santorini. And of course, it's just one more hypothesis, you know, in the many different areas. That is yes, allegedly. I will come to this in a moment because okay. all of that we will clear out. We cleared the idea of the location of Atlantis, okay. which is somewhere beyond Hercules Pillar, somewhere beyond the Mediterranean. So, right. no, it can be the Bimini, it can be somewhere on the Atlantic, Azores, yes. it can even be the Sahara, which would be beyond still the Pillars of Hercules. Yeah, so, we've sure. got this. Right. I will come to the Sahara later. All right. but, we'll let you, you know, take me. <laughs> I want to stick with the facts because okay. most of the scholars are still telling us that, you know, it is all Plato's fantasy. Mm. And it is mostly because, you know, there are two dialogues, Timaeus and Critias, and Timaeus actually yeah. starts with the with some cosmological metaphysical stuff actually Timaeus is very important because it is the first mention that we know of the demiurge of you know this god which is like semi-god like a minor god not the like mm -hmm. god the creator of everything right. like an entity who created our universe of matter our let's say local universe or even solar system and there is also a mention of seven like archons they were named later yes. but seven that's the back rulers. to the gnostic text yes yes exactly so actually these dialogues are very very important because they you know shaped the entire thinking up until the gnostic up until the middle ages so right. these are very important and yes all very often because of those mentions of the demiurge archons and all of the creation of the world mm -hmm. skeptics say that you know the plato's atlantis is like all of the other mm. just a fairy tale because they don't they think that plato is just showing showing them you know showing in his dialogues his own view on the creation of the universe then on the history of earth etc mm -hmm. but i will show you and i that's why I want to stick with the fact that those facts are existing in also other cultures from different regions. Right. So we've got the facts. Pillars of Hercules, somewhere beyond them, so Atlantic Ocean. We've got the fact that it was somewhere 9,000 years before Solon, 9,600 years BC, which is the end of the last Ice Age, which is geologically here possible because at mm -hmm. the end of the last Ice Age, we can either way accept something drastic happened, like a catastrophe, yes. or we can be even conservative right. that it was just the, an ending of the last ice age. But the ending of the last ice age is a fact. And I think that it is too much of a coincidence that Plato actually is telling us that Atlantis existed and sunk during that time, because we know the end of the last ice age. We know from geology, it is a fact that tons of glaciers were melting those Correct. glaciers were actually covering almost entire europe you know right all of the northern europe all those places in which yes. i live poland would be you know under tons of ice so yes. this ice sheet with ice sheets were huge and we know that since the ice age so before, you know, Plato's Atlantis, up until the ancient times, I think about 120 meters of, you know, sea levels rose because that water from the meltings of the glaciers, you know, were flowing and the 
water level rose about 120 meters, which is so huge, you know. So at, at that time, tons of lands sank. Geologists are approximating that it sank about 25 million square, square kilometers. And I think that North America is 21 million square kilometers. So, right. you know, about one fourth more than modern North America, all over the world, of course. Right. But an island that Plato describes was uh, of the size of Libya and Asia Minor, it is really mm -hmm. possible that such an island really sank. Right. So this is a another fact. I want to stick with the fact. So these Oh, are the I am with you. I'm just taking the back another seat here, fact, Alexander. You know, <laughs> the description right. of Atlantis, another fact was that it was like a some type of hill or a mount on which later the Temple of Poseidon was built. And right. some concentric rings, you know, in the Atlantis, you know, that was surrounding this mount. Mm -hmm. And as I will tell you in the moment, in a moment, you know, stories of a similar kind of lost civilization are so common. And also another thing that Plato's Atlantis is actually the same word in Greek as in English, Atlantis. The yes. same. It is the same. So it is another right. very key thing. So these are the facts. We've got the dates, we've got the location and some basics about how it looked like, you know, that right. there was a mount and, you know, surrounding like a city, some concentric rings and stuff like that. And that mm -hmm. it was also an island, which is also a very important that sank somewhere in the very, very deep prehistory. But a similar thing can be found, for instance, in the Aztec mythology yes. actually aztecs <laughs> were telling that you know mm. peoples of mesoamerica come from a lost land called the white land you know the white land but it was an island called aztlan atitlan so aztlan atitlan atlantis very similar etymologically yes. and when it comes to languages but okay yes. it is a single thing so maybe it is a coincidence but we've got two things we've got that it was an island that sang that people came from atlantis so like it was a cradle of civilization and of culture so we've got like three things mm -hmm. and this name so we've got several different you know facts in points of information, data right. points that are similar. It isn't only the name. Another thing is that Aztlan, Atl in the, I think, Nahuatl language means water. So again, another, let's say, connection to water, maybe not a fact, but connection to water. And right. then another thing that it is destroying it all is that the later Aztec metropolis, their capital called Tenochtitlan, which right. was of course destroyed by the conquistadors. But when the conquistadors arrived to them, to the Aztecs, and they saw that, and from how they, you know, draw how this, you know, city was looking like, it looks very similar to the Atlantis because there was a Templo Mayor, a stepped pyramid, which is a different than the pyramid because it is like a mount and a chapel on the top, you know, like Mayan pyramids right. that That's are, right. you know, some mm -hmm. kind of stairs and then chapel at the middle, at the top of this. That's right. So it is a, in my opinion, it is a very similar to the idea of a primeval hill of the Atlantis on which mm -hmm. a temple of Poseidon was being erected. So it is a similar thing. Mm -hmm. But also mm -hmm. Tenochtitlan was located on the Lake Texcoco in Central America and 
It was a set of artificial and natural islands connected by bridges. And, you know, it is this major, like, mound, this major temple, like in the case of Atlantis, and then tons of other islands that are surrounding it. Just like Plato is telling us that there were concentric rings, one of water, one of mm -hmm. you know, land, etc. Some concentric rings. So here right. in this case, in Tenochtitlan, we've got, you know, this almost the same scheme, maybe not concentric, but, you know, mm -hmm. also the main island, some kind of Templo Mayor, the great temple, which is similar mm -hmm. to that from Atlantis, and plenty of islands. And another key thing is that Aztecs were telling the conquistadors that they were styling their capital on that lost land of Aztlan, Atitlan. So right. that is a key factor. It is, if the Aztecs Aztec Aztlan was actually Atlantis, they actually managed to build their capital that was looking like Atlantis. And we know that it looks like Atlantis. So we see here that the Aztec, and we speak here about the Mesoamerica, which is totally isolated from Plato, from the yes. ancient times. Yes. Another thing is that it is isolated when it comes to time periods, because we, we are hearing here about the Aztecs, which were late to the conquistadors, one of the later like natives of that region. So it was like 1500, 1400s of our current era. So almost 2000 years after Plato, and they are telling a similar story. So, you know, we've got too many connections because, oh, okay, I can be skeptical to an extent because Aztlan, Atlantis, you know, maybe this is a coincidence, but right. with all of those facts that can be pointed in bullet points that are similar mm -hmm. and that are key to the story of Atlantis, which are beyond coincidence. And right. we'll, that's why I wanted to tell the facts at the beginning. Because right. we can then compare it to all other cultures with no like any imaginary stories. Right. So we've got Mesoamerica, another key region to ancient times, ancient Egypt. And actually, according even to Plato, the Atlanteans were, were having influence over the Mediterranean, over Italy, and also over Egypt and, you know, the northern, uh, northern Africa. So it is also very interesting that in Egypt we find mentions, not only the first thing, we've got the date that according to skeptics is too old, you know, 9,000 years before Solon, uh, Plato is telling us fairy tales, you know mm. what I mean. But actually, the origin of the story, story according to Plato is not his imagination, of course, but mm. Plato even mentions that it was Solon, a very, very reno renowned Greek lawmaker who went to his travels to Egypt, and in Egypt, in an Egyptian city of size, some priests told him the story of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. So we've got an idea that actually the story of Atlantis comes from Egypt. Right. And, you know, everyone is telling us, oh, that is just Plato imagined this story. But we have plenty of evidence that it may be the case. Mm -hmm. Because we have plenty of ancient sources that are telling us that Solon really traveled to Egypt. So it is one thing. And mm. it's very interesting because he was a very renowned lawmaker in Athens. It is, you know, when you learn even in Poland, in primary school, Solon is mentioned, maybe not, you know, described very, maybe not described, but there is a mention even in the Polish primary school, 
uh, during my times, there was a mention that Solon was a very renowned lawmaker and one of the seven sages of the ancient Greek world. So he was a mm. very renowned high-level person. Right. And it is very interesting because he was this high-level person because of his reforms, because he introduced parts of democracy to Athens. And because of that, he needed to, you know, escape to Egypt because some, you know, like oligarchs and some, you know, very, very influential people, it was not for, it wasn't good for them because they were, mm. you know, ruling the people because they had plenty of money, plenty <laughs> right. of influence. And now Solon is introducing parts of democracy. So they are yeah. angry at him. So he actually escapes to Egypt and in Egypt, in an Egyptian city of size, he stole the story of Atlantis. And right. there is, of course, a city of size. It is one of the oldest cities of ancient Egypt. We do not have much evidence because it was almost completely destroyed, especially when it comes to the temple at which Solon mm. was given the story of Atlantis. But we have plenty of other ancient historians that are telling us that Solon really went to Egypt. So it is a one fact. Mm. Another fact is that plenty of ancient Egyptian sources are telling us a similar story. Actually, taking the roots of civilization back by even tens of thousands of years was very common in ancient Egypt. So the date of 9000 years BC is actually a casual thing when it comes to the sources from ancient Egypt. Right. And the modern chronology when it comes to archaeology and Egyptology is based on plenty of different sources. Most of them are dynastic lists of kings. So, you know, lists of kings from the earliest to the mm. most recent that Egyptians written down and they say that now it was this dynasty, then this dynasty, then this, etc. We have plenty of them because Egypt had like 3,000 years of its history, you know, from about 3,100 years BC from the unification of Egypt into one whole mm. state by Menesnama and then up until, you know, the conquest of the Romans at the beginning of the current era. So 3,000 years of the existence, but the history and beliefs of ancient Egyptians didn't change that much when it comes to its history. Mm. Because whether we see like Palermo stone, which is a list of kings from about 500 years after the unification of Egypt. So very, very old one. Mm -hmm. Then we see a middle one from the reign of Ramesses II, the Turin's kings list. Then yes. we see the Manetos kings list, which is one of the latest ones from about 200, 300 years before current era. So from the end of the ancient Egyptian civilization. Right. And whether we look at each if we look at each of them, all of those texts are telling us almost the same chronology of rulers right. and that before Menesname, which is considered by Egyptology to be the first ruler, all of those sources are telling us that before him there was a much older Egypt and they are telling us about the dates of 36,000 years BC, 39,000 years BC. make a lot more BC. sense. Yes. yes, something like that. And in my book, I am mentioning it because it is very in accordance to the facts from biology, because we know that modern, anatomically modern humans appeared about 200,000 years ago. So, mm. you know, if we nowadays believe that, you know, first settlements were only 10,000 years before current era. But just look at the ancient Sumerian kings list. It goes back yes. like, what, four, 400,000 years ago? Mm -hmm. About Give like that. Take, 450? But 
the Sumerians kings may be still in accordance with the biological facts because 200,000 years is a very conservative estimate based on the chromosomes, on the okay. genetics. But right. we have some, uh, we found some skeletons that may be dated up to even 400,000, 500,000 years. Mm. And another idea is that those first kings from the Sumerians kings were actually not humans. It is very possible from their description. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's very possible. Yes. I mean, you have so, to explain the RH negative blood type. That's not rhesus monkey. That comes from somewhere. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. That is an, another thing. But it is beyond, <laughs> Just saying, while we're on the topic of ancients, beyond, where did that come from? <laughs> it is beyond our today's conversation because I want to stick with the facts. But yeah, the course. idea of a much older Egypt, like 36,000 years BC, was common in plenty of sources. It isn't a single source, like mm -hmm. in the case of Plato's Atlantis. There are plenty of sources like that. And Egyptologists are saying yes, that the chronology of rulers from the first pharaoh are actually up until 70 to 80% correct with modern Egyptological data. So it is mm. a very interesting find that they were telling us the true, you know, rulers. Mm -hmm. So why they aren't telling us the truth about those very, very ancient prehistoric times? It is suspicious mm. to me. And also, right. as you mentioned, Sumerians kings are also telling us of a much older history. Hindu texts are telling us of a much older history. Mm -hmm. So plenty of different texts. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to Egypt, we've got Solon, which is a fact from Plato that connects to the real evidence. Then we've mm -hmm. got the the date 9600 years BC, which mm -hmm. is still very common with ancient Egyptian knowledge. Another fact checked. Then we've got some mentions, unfortunately, from times after Plato from Egypt, but still mm -hmm. maybe they weren't influenced by Plato. We've got the Edfu texts and other sources that are telling us of a similar island which is similar to the Plato's Atlantis, because there is a mention that, you know, at the very beginning during those ancient times that I mentioned from those list of kings, mm -hmm. there was an island of gods. And this island of gods, even according to Edfu text, sank twice, which is maybe not <laughs> according to Plato's Atlantis, but more according to Casey and some psychic channeled visions of Atlantis, because yes. there are mentions of different periods of Atlantis. So yes. it's in accordance even to those visions, which is very interesting. Yes, but absolutely. then there's a mention that 
this island was uh, had actually a primeval mount and we found we find this idea of primeval mount also in other sources from ancient egypt which may tell us that the edfu texts are based on a much older knowledge and sources from ancient egypt because mm -hmm. in other ancient egyptian sources we've got this primeval mount and mm -hmm. interestingly this primeval mount was this land of gods that sang it was the first let's say island first location of people that existed on the planet earth which is similar to plato's atlantis because plato at the beginning is telling us that before humans entire earth was divided by god and right. it was poseidon who ruled the atlantis who took this land this this share of land that was uh, the Atlantis. So it is a right. very similar thing that at the beginning it was God and then humans. And here we've got the island of gods, the primeval mound, the first mound, just as the first mound, the first hill of Atlantis that sunk later in the later times. But also another, and we've got here another fact checked that it is, you know, we've got parallels between those sources. But another very interesting idea is the pyramid. Because no. according to ancient Egyptians, the pyramids and especially the Benben stone, the apex of the pyramid, was actually the representation of that primeval prehistoric first mound. So it is another connection to the pyramids and a lot of, you know, channeled sources connect the pyramids to Atlanteans. So yes. it may be. Yeah, uh, no, I say that. Connection. I'd be in agreement with that for sure. Mm -hmm. There's a lot so of theories is... with the pyramids. If you mm -hmm. if you can determine what their use is, what they were really for. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. A, it is a very <clears throat> interesting connection because we see that those sources from ancient Egypt are not only validating Plato's Atlantis, but also plenty of mentions of psychics and channeled information yes. that are connected ancient egypt with atlantis yes. so it is very very interesting well edgar casey was a brilliant man and he also wrote a book on it so he must have had mm -hmm. enough information and he well michael laflamme of course your friend mm -hmm. uh, filled us yes. in a lot on that and he added a lot of content so one has to wonder how many other people have have done the same thing because when you're looking, Edgar Casey was revered and he's proven himself many times. There's a lot of great, great oracles and seers, as I call them, out there. But a lot of that just gets frowned upon. Academia does not look at anything like that. So you could have all of this fantastic information just laying dormant because it doesn't fit the bill, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yes, I think that in our last conversation, we we're talking about it, about one of the primary assumptions of the scientific method, which is materialism, that yes. it is like a prim primary assumption before anything is explored in science, that there only exist matter, particles, and its interactions between them. So right. it's a very limiting belief. And that's why I'm against, you know, science having a monopoly on knowledge, because it's tr it is trying to having a monopoly on knowledge and everyone beyond the scientific thinking is you know pseudoscientist yes. hoaxer charlatan and stuff like that but yes i think that you know knowledge and achieving acquiring actually knowledge should be free without any prior assumptions you know 
whatever exists, it exists. It is a fact. Right. And, you know, we shouldn't have prior <clears throat> assumptions that, you know, only apples exist and oranges <laughs> do not exist, you know. They're there. So the same with <laughs> yes. the matter. And it is like being in a bubble. Because let's say that, you know, the holistic view would be that, you know, everything just exists. We do not know how, you know, infinite everything is. So everything only exists. And, right. you know, it is like having a bubble that is limiting our view to a certain degree because now we only accept what is material, only matter and interaction. So we've got all of the possibility and now we are, you know, closed. Then we right. have another assumption and we are closing, closing and closing and we are in a bubble. So... It's right. a very interesting thing, but coming to Atlantis, we see that in Egypt, those mentions, which are from very from different texts, not only from a single source, mm -hmm. are very similar in accordance to Plato's Atlantis and also with the Aztlan of the Aztecs. But also when it comes to the idea that Plato imagined this story, because this is the main, you know, critic of scientists, especially skeptics, that Plato's Atlantis is just a fairy tale. But it is not. It is, we may be skeptical, but it is a more like retelling of a legend. Like right. I now can have a legend how Poland appeared, how it was created. Maybe it is a legend. And, you right. know, it is like... I was to, maybe I wrote it in my future book, and after 2000 of years, some scientists will be telling that Alexander Tushkevich, you know, imagined a story of creation of Poland, you know what I mean. Right. This Plato's Atlantis, you know, we may say that we do not have evidence, of course, we will come to it later, but when it comes to the story and sources and history and analysis of all of that, it is, you know, it is not an imagination of Plato. I do not say that Plato didn't add anything to it because most probably he added some details. We do not know if everything is correct, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the centuries. Of course, of, of course data would be distorted and plenty of information would be distorted. But the main mm. assumption of the skeptics that it is a fairy tale is negative. It, is, it right. isn't the truth because it is more right. like a retelling of the story. Just as I am today retelling the story of Atlantis, so it isn't that I imagine it and I created it. I just took an older story, which is the case of Atlantis, because even before Plato, we've got some sources, and Michael Leflam is mentioning them a lot, like Hellenicus of Lesbos, who is mentioning a similar kind of story that there was a god, then there was some, like, some different rulers, like a similar story to Plato's Atlantis of different rulers, but it is only only a few verses survived of the Hellenicus text, but it is about 200 years before Plato, and Hellenicus is mentioning the exact same name of Atlantis. Right. So, the right. Plato's Atlantis, the name was in circulation before Plato, so right. he didn't exactly. invent the name for right. instance, and right. all of the details we saw in different cultures. So they also weren't inventions.
Right. So this is when it comes to those most critical like civilizations, like the Aztecs, the Egyptians. But I also I have some quotes in my book also, but also Michael Laflam covered some of it. That right. before Plato, we've got, for instance, in Mahabharata, which is the, one of the longest and also the oldest epics, sources, literary texts of all time from India. Mm -hmm. In Mahabharata, we've got mention of Atala, which sank you know, the Mahabharata is older than Plato and it is Atala, like Atlantis, Atala, yes. also very similar. So yes. one fact, another fact before Plato. And the third fact is that it existed somewhere in the Western Ocean. So I think that the Hindu knew that, you know, underneath their country, <clears throat> underneath the Indian Peninsula, there is some kind of ocean, but they mm -hmm. are mentioning the Western Ocean. Most probably they are not mentioning again the Mediterranean because it was too small for them. Right. So the Western Ocean, again, Atlantic Ocean, like Plato. So we've got different, again, information that is the same with Plato. So again, mm -hmm. too much for me to be a coincidence. Right. And we've got also different cultures, like from the Pyrenean Mountains, from the Atlas yes. Mountains, from Sahara, <clears throat> are telling us of similar names to Atlantis. Right. And it it shouldn't surprise us because there would be the first lands like Sahara, you mentioned the Eye of Sahara, of course, the Sahara, I know, Spain, the Canary Islands, all of those places would be the first. If Atlantis was somewhere on the Atlantic Ocean and it sank, those places would be the first places of the refugees from the Atlantis. And you mm -hmm. mentioned the RH negative blood, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, for instance, anthropologist Robert Sepper found that the RH negative blood is very ancient. It is connected to the Aryan race from about the end of the last ice age. And it is connected to the regions, which would be very similar like out of Atlantis escape, like, like Basque and Scotland and places like that. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. It is like we've got the Atlantic Ocean and we've got to our left the Aztecs, Mesoamerica, the coast of the both Americas. The and there we found... out of North America. Yes, um, I'm exactly. an Arch negative, and I've I come from the Iroquois as well, along with Ooh. the Norsemen and every yeah. Yes. So. so exactly. These regions are like out of Atlantis, out of the Atlantic Ocean, out of yes. something that existed on the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. On the, as I mentioned, as we look at the map on the left, the Americas, and we see, we've seen the Aztecs, which is a perfect example of the story of Atlantis that yeah. still exists there. And then we've got the right, which is, of course, the Canary Islands, the Azores, you know, Spain, Portugal, coasts of the Sahara, and even the Atlas Mountains which are you know again similar atlas atlantis you know it's a different god maybe atlas than atlantis but still a very similar thing so we see that we have plenty of clues that point to the atlantis somewhere on the atlantic ocean but mm -hmm. when it comes to the eye of the sahara because it is sahara not the atlantic ocean you know if the levels of seas and oceans were 120 meters uh, were 120 meters lower so maybe you know we do not know because we know from geology that sahara was during our prehistory a very green and lush place so 
maybe at some point in our history, you know, the eye of the Sahara was connected maybe by some river mm. actually to the, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. Another thing is we saw the Tenochtitlan, we saw Aztlan, uh, and we saw that in some sources we've got different periods of Atlantis. And I think, as you mentioned, the global Atlantis, I think that, you know, the Atlanteans weren't only located on their main island, but we know from modern times that architecture is very similar in plenty of different places you know the modern style postmodernist architectural style of yes. all of those skyscrapers is the same in tokyo in china in europe in americas so it won't surprise me if the eye of the sahara which is also concentric rings concentric circles won't mm. be maybe not the main island of atlantis but maybe some kind of a colony or another city because atlantis you know according to all those sources wasn't like a small location and you know small civilization it was bigger exactly. so maybe it wasn't the main one but yeah. you know it was similar because it was from the same culture Right. I agree. There's a lot of um, hypothesis with respect to the fact that it may have been more of a global uh, phenomenon, not so much a just central little island. Plato probably would have seen for his time, he would have seen probably one of these locations. But there, there's just too much that shows too many similarities at all different parts of the world. I mean, heck, you know, We've lost two continents. Well, we'd have a loss and we know where they are. <laughs> but, you know, um, who knows what was on those continents as well? You know? Yes. Let's face so, it. This. I come to the beginning that you mentioned the underwater exploration. You mentioned either the Sahara, yes. the Egypt, the global connections. Yes. So now I will go to global connections and then underwater exploration. All right. And when it comes to global connections, we already see see we've already seen those you know the rh negative we've seen the aztecs egyptians greek all of those yes. names and even the hindu that are beyond any coincidence yes. and also under interesting idea because we mentioned that it was a global civilization to some extent maybe you know it just traveled the entire world another in we come back to plato's with the mention of the ocean I mentioned at the beginning and the surrounding continent. You know, mm -hmm. if Plato knew about the Atlantis, so why he shouldn't know about the Americas, for instance? Mm -hmm. So it is another key. And another thing that I will research in the future, and I've got some basis to that, is the prehistoric measures of the Earth. Because We've seen that according to the Egyptians, there is a huge connection between the lost land, this first mounts, this first, you know, cradle of civilization and the pyramids, especially yes. the Great Pyramid and the Benben Stone. Yes. And we know, I mentioned it in my book, it is, I think, too technical to mention here, but there are huge clues that the measures of the Earth are encoded with also plenty of mathematical formulae within the Great Pyramid of Giza. Mm. And I think that this knowledge of the dimensions of the Earth is connected to the Atlanteans, to those people who traveled the entire world, who are later mentioned as teachers of mankind also in many regions, different regions of the Earth. And mm. also, I think that it is connected, I mentioned the pyramids, also to the anomalous maps that were initially found by Charles Habgood, then Graham Hancock, 
not only the anomalous maps like Pure Reese and Philip Watcher of the Atlant of, of the Antarctic bef- beneath the ice sheets, but also Graham Hancock actually found several dozens of maps that are showing us not only those actual regions, but also plenty of other regions of Earth beyond the end of the last ice age. So beyond the end, the sinking of Atlantis. Mm. So I think it is also beyond a coincidence. I think that, you know, those civilizations, Atlantis, etc., were actually connected with the meltings of the waters because it is a fact that plenty of waters melted and sunk plenty of lands. I think that it is, you know, a very good idea and good direction to go through when it comes to research. And I think Mm -hmm. that those maps that are showing us, for instance, the Beringia, which connects the nowadays Russia, the Asian continent with Americas, which is, you know, a scientific fact that this land bridge existed before the end of the last ice age. Mm-hmm. And we've got plenty of maps showing us that, showing us islands of the coasts of many regions that existed before the end of the last ice age. And I think that this connected with the measures and dimensions of the Earth within the Great Pyramid, of course, with the primeval mount, with the Atlantis and all of those stories. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, Atlantis wasn't global, like modern civilization, that we have right. civilization on the entire Earth, but right. at least they visited the entire planet. And what is the most interesting is that the first boats from Egypt, the first boats from the Sumerian culture were all capable of deep sea voyages. So voyages beyond sea through the ocean, capable right. of voyages through the oceans. Right. So I think, you know, why building such ships if those people were only like traveling locally? I exactly. think that, you yes. know, either this knowledge was from those deep sea voyages or those deep sea voyages existed even during the ancient times, not only during those prehistoric times. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, if you're looking at a civilization that was supposed to be very far advanced on many different levels. So it would make sense that uh, they, they would have access to the technology to build ships like this, to build structures, Obviously, couldn't keep the island, or you know, they couldn't keep themselves from sinking. But I don't imagine there's there's a whole lot that would stop an ice age, so to speak. But with that being said, the ice age came in off the northern hemisphere, for, you know, for most most parts. So they went on what you're saying, essentially, to rebuild. So if they have the technology to travel the world, you know, crossing these vast oceans did they rebuild and would they have limited themselves to just one location we talk Mm -hmm. about mesoamerica but there's a lot down there there's there's there was even thoughts of possibly atlantis because it was ancient of us ancient civilization there before ice Yes, maybe this even mention of before ice is connected to what I mentioned at the beginning about the Aztlan, Atitlan of the Aztecs, that they called it white land. Yes. Maybe white land is connected to some extent with the ice. Maybe it was during the times that there were plenty of ice sheets on Earth. We do not know, Mm -hmm. but we have plenty of clues. Another interesting clue is that Plato is telling us that from the island of Atlantis, Atlanteans Mm -hmm. were trying to conquer the Mediterranean. So again, Mm -hmm. Atlantis 
Atlanteans, according to Plato, were capable also of those deep sea voyages from the Atlantic yes. to the Mediterranean. So again, those ships are very connected to that mansion. So another, you know, piece of the puzzle is connected here. And now, because we talked about this, let's talk about, you know, those big minerals, etc. But why uh, do we not you know ca why cannot we find anything at the bottom of the oceans and i found it interesting because it is so hard to map the oceans i found like i watched some like scientific podcasts like casual science conventional not some like woo woo and theories but according to conventional science it is very hard and we have like the bigger resolution of about 30 to 60 times when it comes to the face of Mars than when it comes to the face of the oceans, even the face, not mentioning what is beneath, you know, the water <coughs> layer. So it really amazed me that, you know, if you log onto some Google Earth or some Google Maps, you can search there like Moon and Mars. And science are telling us that we have like about 30 50 60 something like that times higher resolution when it comes to those distant planets and mm -hmm. celestial bodies that than when it comes to the oceans so the oceans are even more unexplored than the you know the cosmos nearby us than the solar system so you know there's still a huge potential for the existence of atlantis especially that on the atlantic ocean there is an atlantic ridge on on which you know two different tectonic plates meet. yes and yes. you know i remember even from like primary school or middle high school on mm -hmm. geography yes. geology something like that we know that those plates are sometimes you know hitting each other making mm -hmm. earthquakes so you know yes. earthquakes led to the sinking of the atlantis or they can also you know <coughs> go one under the other so maybe right. you know if atlantis was on the tip of this and it went it went beneath. down so maybe we cannot even found, find the atlantis because it is beneath another tectonic plate it is very possible because often you know when those plates initially meet For there sure. is like some kind of island you know often yes islands are on those that's right because it was tipped up right exactly it is tipped yes. up so you know yes. this tip suddenly goes beneath the other you know so there goes of the atlantis is gone yeah exactly so yes we may not even be able to found it but maybe we can of course but we do not know what lies beneath the oceans and i think that that's why the atlantic ocean is a very it's, it's fast very, it's yes deep, but it is it's, a, it's cruel you know it's so cold it's very difficult i say yes. cruel because it, it's it's so cold not a lot of equipment can you know, you, it wouldn't mm -hmm. survive being in the water for very long. But then when you start coming down to the south, again, you look like we, we've, we've talked about the Azores, but there's also an underwater city that's been discovered off the coast of Cuba. And yes, it's got yes. phenomenal submerged structures down there. Sonar images have, uh, have shown so many different symmetrical and geographic or geometric structures that it's... We can't deny mm -hmm. it's something of intelligence that's there. So what about that? Yes, these are very controversial. There are, you know, arguments for and against because, you know, we haven't, it's very difficult to actually go there and search 
what it is exactly, you know. So oh, there's I, they're 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 searching it like that. Yes, they it's, are, it's, but you know, yeah. still because we you know we cannot you know take the water out and see and dig everything there. There are still I've seen plenty of arguments against that, of course. Hmm. So I still think that even the Azores are much more you know can be much can be much stronger argument it for to, it. Yes, and can think? be much quicker when it comes to some kind of discovery. So, and, you know, the same with the Bimini Road. We, we see the Bimini Road, but still there are arguments that it can be natu a natural formation. You know, the same with the Yonaguni, but Yonaguni, I think, is too complex mm -hmm. to be natural formation. But, you know, because we cannot analyze it so, you know, so specifically because it's underwater. It is very hard to us still at this point in our history. So there are plenty of arguments against them, but well, still, I think there may be plenty of things found of the coast of the Azores, of the coasts of the, you know, uh, the Canary Islands, and maybe mm -hmm. even of the coasts of, as you mentioned, Cuba, Bahamas, there are plenty of things to be found for sure, because there was a change of the sea level about 120 meters. So imagine mm -hmm. 120 meters, which is mm -hmm. like a small skyscraper, mm -hmm. you know, of uh, or even a skyscraper of a huge, 120 meter is a lot, you know, a mm -hmm. very, very large. So there are plenty of things, but still, unfortunately, those mentions of the coast of here, here are very, very controversial. There well, the one in Cuba against. right now, they're saying it's about 2,450 feet down. So too deep. That's like two square miles. It's too deep, they figure, for it to be man-made. And it seems to fit the bill a little bit. Um you know, with, with, with the Mayan people and Yucatecos people, the story of their their ancestors who inhabited this island that vanished beneath the waves. It seems to be very similar to what the Aztecs are saying. Mm -hmm. And this is something that they figure may be a part of that history. Is it Atlantis? Maybe, maybe not. But it's still one of those stories of, of a culture that they seem to be able to trace like that there's something here or this could be like, you know, 10,000 or tens of thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's deep. It's tough because you can only hit certain parts of those structures because the rest is just too deep to go down and explore. Yes, yes, that's right. that's the huge problem. And another thing to finish the underwater exploration that I also found from that podcast about, you know, the entire, you know, not our knowledge about the oceans is that right. on Google Map or Google Earth, we've got those like places where in which the water is deeper, you know, yes. we've got some black, some, you know, some different colors that are yes. showing us the depth. But this depth is actually calculated based on the satellite analysis of yes. the gravity. Yes. So it's also very controversial because different materials can influence gravity depending on, you know, how much dense they are and heavy they are. You know, yes. there may be different caves even beneath the ocean that can change this gravity so even this knowledge mm -hmm. is very very it's not accurate at all so right we do not know much about the oceans especially right. so i think 
that's why we are too arrogant to think that, oh, there is no possibility of Atlantis. And it is, was a similar case with Gobekli Tepe. You know, yes. during the 60s, 70s, yes. there appeared, oh, it was made public of all of that Edgar Casey became, you know, more popular and all of the stuff about the Atlantis, you know, later Robert Bovell, Graham Hancock, all of the mm -hmm. theories about of the course. older pyramids. And, you know, the biggest argument back then was that we do not have evidence that people during circa 10,000 years BC were capable of building all of the megalithic monuments. But mm -hmm. then in 1994, we discovered Gobekli Tepe, which is a huge achievement of our prehistoric ancestors dated right. to about you know 12,000 years ago and we see that people of the, from those times were capable of creating megalithic buildings so mm -hmm. why not why shouldn't they were able to build the Atlantis also so well, now we see the Gobekli Tepe is the best example that now we know that the yes. tanks of Atlantis are totally possible. It isn't like some imagination and impossible stuff. Well, Gobekli isn't even the oldest one. They just found one mm -hmm. very close by that's even older. But we yes. all have, like, how do we differentiate? I'll give you an, an example. I, I pulled up a piece of research that I had that I did for another show. How do we differentiate um, cultures, you know, of our time? Like, we're, we're not the first... I always say we're not the first kick the can here on planet Earth. There have been civilizations that have been here long before us, whether they were human or whether they were not human. One example of that is a discovery that was made in 1972. I've written it down here. A 1.8 billion year old nuclear reactor in Oklo, Africa, Gabon, uh, the Republic down there. And they found that the ore had already been extracted. They found what appeared to be a large scale nuclear reactor from this like 1.8 billion years ago, which was operated for half a million years. And Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Glenn T. Seaborg, former head of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission, explained that this cannot be a natural phenomenon and must be man-made nuclear reactor due to the following reasons. For one, uranium to burn very precise conditions are needed, such as the water must be extremely pure, et cetera, et cetera. There was all kinds of stuff that they found there. But the point is, this is one of many, I mean, many locations that are starting to surface, definitely not from our time. So how do we know what we're seeing? Is it from our time? Is it from another time? Is it from... You know, the same uh, thing is with the Big Bang. You know, we have so little probability of <laughs> yeah. Big Bang happening that it is, you know, impossible, <clears throat> but we live here. The right. same thing is with the creation of mankind. I mentioned that there was a fusion of chromosomes about 200,000 years ago that created humans, but it was almost as impossible, a little less impossible than the right. existence of the Big Bang. Right. So the same, you know, thinking is applied when it comes to, you mentioned this nuclear reactor. When you, you know, when you hear the skeptics and listen to them, etc. So they tell you the same. It is a coincidence of that course. it looks man-made because it was natural, but it was, you know, it was, it had such a low probability. They are always in this probabilistic, you know, thing that it is mm. it's just a probability. So it is real, etc. So this is their explanation, of course. But there's out of place artifacts that go back 150,000 years ago. Look, they found that hammer in Texas. It's like mm -hmm. 150,000 years old. It's just like... <laughs> 
know, yes. there's things we, we cannot explain it that it doesn't fit our culture. Yes, there are plenty of out of place artifacts, but we yes. need to be careful because I would say a large percentage, like 30 or something percentage of many of them were hoaxes. And we have some evidence for some. Mm -hmm. Some, of course, weren't. We cannot, like, we can check and these are not hoaxes. But I think that because of lots of them were hoaxes, because people wanted, you know, out of place artifacts, you know, for money, maybe fame. Because of that, you know, the this forbidden archaeology, as it is often called, and are out of place artifacts well, are often neglected by scientists because of that. Uh, well, there are some scientists, I, I believe, in mm -hmm. with that piece who have agreed that no, this yes. is definitely something that's out of the norm. Let's face it, we're going to find things on this planet that have nothing to do with our civilization as we know it. There's stuff out there that that's goes back. The, the Earth, the planet hides her secrets. And with technology, mm -hmm. you know, at least our technology as per our, you know, uh, so our turn around this, this, this planet, um, I think we're starting to see a lot of things. We've got equipment now that can see down through the canopies of trees. We've got some that can go down at least, what, two and a half kilometers, three kilometers down into the oceans now, or miles. Like, we're getting there. But it's whatever mm -hmm. runs deeper. There are parts of the ocean, like you say, they're just so dark that, that the, 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 the wildlife down there has never seen light. You know, mm -hmm. you can tell just by they glow in the dark. They just they're, they're products mm -hmm. of their environment. So what else lies down there as far as even culturally speaking? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there could be we don't know what kind of life is down there. Yes, well, you we're know. discovering all the time, like new species, and even scientists are now admitting that we do not know about we do not have a lot of knowledge about those species in those no but giant squid look at one time the giant squid was an anomaly people are just mm -hmm. like oh that that's that's cryptozoology that is mm -hmm. that's ridiculous yes. now scientists are pulling these things out of the water and realize they come from such a, a, a great depth of the ocean but mm -hmm. now it's like it's no longer a fairy tale this exactly. this exists and they're examining them and they're just like Holy cow, look at the size of these things. Yes, exactly. And it's a very good example because it is the same with Atlantis. Yeah. Because we haven't found the exact city location of Atlantis, right. etc. But it right. doesn't mean that it is a fairy tale and that it does not exist because we may right. found it. Because the same was for last hundreds of years. The same was with Troy that was considered to be fairy tale because it was yes. in Homer's epic-like work. Even I right. think that Plato's dialogue and critics about the Atlantis are much right. more a reliable source than Homer's epic. And now we see that, you know, Troy was actually real. Yeah, the same I mentioned with one. the ancient yes. Sumer. Nowadays, it yes. is a common knowledge that the Sumerian civilization was the cradle of civilization. But 
less than 200 years ago in 1840s before that we didn't have almost anything about it but we have plenty of different stories that there mm -hmm. was some civilization plenty of stories from ancient historians even from the bible but no this is just a fairy tale you know we do not have evidence etc mm -hmm. and that's why i wrote my book that's why you right. know i'm speaking here and on many other podcasts platforms etc because i think that you know mainstream history especially the skeptics are too arrogant they are limiting people's you know potential you know plenty yes. of young people you know young people at the history lesson at the history lessons or geography lessons would like you know to search for atlantis would like to search for all of the unknowns of the deepest parts of the oceans but mm -hmm. we are as young people we are taught that no this is you know atlantis is just a fairy tale it is not right. worth it's conditioning going yes exactly so yes. that's why i'm here and that's why i started early because at to some extent an early age but also not very early like when i was 14 15 mm -hmm. i started seeing for that that you know we as a science you know as skeptics as academia are very arrogant that we know so much you know science should be that i know like socrates that right. i know nothing you know and science should be like that should be about questioning stuff and nowadays i see physicists etc are saying that scientists is all about questioning so you know why are you not questioning the mainstream historical paradigm and why you, sh you are not you know taking into consideration atlantis you know my point isn't to force on right. everyone that atlantis really existed my point is to show that we are too arrogant to think that we should exclude all of those fairy tales and to treat them as fairy tales because as we mentioned throughout this conversation we have plenty of different points yes. different information yes. pieces of knowledge that connect in many places but also are consistent within those sources from different parts of the globe so they may lead us in the future to a discovery that can completely shift our current vision of the history mm. and take again our civilization back just right. as during the middle ages we thought that greece we even didn't we weren't even thinking about Greece. It was during the Renaissance after the Middle Ages we started yes. rediscovering Greece and Rome. That's why during the Renaissance plenty of architectural styles yes. were yeah. inspired by ancient Greek and Rome. So we rediscovered Greek and Rome. Then we discovered Egypt with Napoleonic expeditions. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1840s and 1900s, we rediscovered, you know, ancient Mesopotamia. So maybe, you know, yes. tens or a hundred years, years from now, we will rediscover Atlantis, who knows? And skeptics are, you know, limiting people because if people were from a very young age not conditioned to believe that Atlantis is fairy tale, etc., so people will be much more in a way ex to explore. You know, they will have this 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 part of themselves that would want an adventure, an exploration, and we would have much many more researchers who were, you know, if we were to have plenty of more researchers i agree but i think it goes against progress. the narrative <clears throat> i think mm -hmm. it goes against the narrative let's look at giants for example you, you know you're gonna have a whole a whole array of this is what they were blah 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 blah, blah. but there are ancient people all over the world who talked about a race of mm -hmm. giants and right down in afghanistan just just like probably in the last what five ten years ago 
the soldiers down there claimed that they had seen one. So uh, there's, there's things out there for sure. The Smithsonian had their hands on them, dumped them in the ocean. The Native American people themselves spoke about fighting, their ancestors fighting a race of very tall yes. people. So, you know, you, you're getting into to different areas of the world. They range anywhere from eight feet tall, which we've seen in our time. You know, we've seen people who are almost eight, like eight feet tall. They're an anomalies to us, but they, but they're there. Um, different parts of the world, you know, in, out in Italy, they're they're like, well, they are like fifteen feet tall. Okay, we there are bones. There there's stuff being found. Mm -hmm. So we're being suppressed because it goes against the narrative. I think a lot of archaeologists go, you know, they, they're very careful because I have friends who are archaeologists. I have, I have a good friend in England who's been on the show many times and he, how he explained it was you have to be careful because it's not that many of us don't believe that there's something more, but the academic part of archaeology limits us from mm -hmm. being able to voice certain things because it goes against the narrative. So mm -hmm. is it the same thing with these Atlantis and some of these ancient places because we can't put our hands on it? Therefore, you know, it's like Shangri-La. You can't put your hands on it, but there's such a strong belief that it's there. Mm -hmm. The lost city of gold, which they think they may have just found with technology that's gone through the forest canopy. They don't have their hands on it, but they believe that it exists. So is that what we're up against? The real fight is maybe against, you know, mm -hmm. the narrative? Yes, because as I mentioned at the beginning, the historical narrative that nowadays yes. we are, and yes. we are in media like, being propelled to this constant progress, consumerism, more and yes, more, you know, technology. And, and, you know, during the Middle Ages, you know, there was a narrative of the fall and people were like, it was a narrative that was forced upon people. And mm -hmm. nowadays, maybe it is a little bit harder. So I think that this idea is forced of a constant progress because it is still not in harmony with nature, which is cyclical. Mm. Also, it is not in harmony with truth with the Atlantis and the lost civilizations and stuff like that because we're primitive in the past. So it is very beneficial to the elites, let's say. And also, it is very, like, optimistic. So people... You do not need to force people to believe in that, you know. Right. Everyone wants to believe in a better future, you know. There are some, sure. of course, you know, catastrophists and oh, sure. Armageddon. Uh, that happens every 12,000 years. <laughs> yes, yes. Things change, planet changes, floods. Yes, you know? so you have those people, but right. you know, it is an, a very easy way to get people. So it is, you know, I think that it is a very smart move to go into a constant progress that can lead to plenty of uh, different problems in the society because I mentioned on another podcast that you know our society is getting faster faster we are forced to be 
faster at everything and we neglect basic stuff you know we neglect our health to eat quickly and to do that and eat fast food and stuff like that you know we mm. are to move forward forward and we are you know not managing the basic stuff we are not healing the previous wounds on even the collective level mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. are not healing from our past we are not learning right. from our past because we do not have time to reflect because faster 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 right. and uh, on one of my last podcasts i mentioned that that it is also it is inharmonious and you know we often mention those elites etc you know satanists etc but Right. They want the chaos because, you know, they have everything. And in chaos, you know, the more the chaos, the more people maybe may die in some like kind oh. of just an accident. I agree. Kind of accidents, <laughs> I you agree. know, car accidents, eating accidents, war mm -hmm. on an accident. You know what I mean? Of so, course, of course. Uh, chaos is yeah. very good for them, you know, to reduce the number of peasants it, they it have. Is. <laughs> so, it is. Uh, that's why. And, and it's, it's a repeated cycle. Like mm -hmm. throughout, throughout. Yes, but they do not want us to know about the cycles. And it might be also on a deeper spiritual level because, you know, from like the Hindu thought, you actually escape the matrix and become enlightenment <laughs> after yeah. ending the cycle. You know, if you end all the karmic cycles, so then mm -hmm. you are free. You know, the same sure. is similar with Plato's Demerge and Seven Archons that there is this idea of robbers that you know everything it is a snake that eats his own tail yes. so it is that's like right. a never-ending going you that's know? right that's so right. this is the cycle and if we knew just like our ancient ancestors about the cycles we knew that this is the right time to do that this is the right time you know to get the reward and this is the right time to just plant the seeds and not get the reward and mm. nowadays we're in chaos we do not know we are lost Actually, plenty of young people are lost, even not young men. Plenty of our po people from our population are lost because they do not understand what is going on. And with all the media, with all the narrative, we're going, they are saying us, ignore all of that, let's go, progress, etc. Right. But do you, do you discount all of the oral history? Because, you know, I'll use another you know, crazy example. I mean, we, we talked about giants. There was oral, this is oral history of not just the, the Nordic or native indigenous people of North America or South America. It's just all over the world. So let's go with the one that's more common, Bigfoot. Okay. So there's a lot of primatologists that go, no, this is what Bigfoot is. Um, but nobody, it's so seldom that people actually get sightings, but now again with technology, everybody's got one of these, you know, so you're out and about and you're able to film, you're able to capture photographs. So now this being is, is within reach because we're able to at least capture it or capture an image of it. So you see now it's something that was completely elusive is becoming more of a reality. So. You know, is it the same thing? Should we be listening? Because the Native American people and other cultures around the world, in Tibet, you know, and uh, ancient cultures have spoken about these beings. And still, academic people have said, nope, it's not a thing. Well, looking mm -hmm. like it might be. <laughs> so is it yes. just another one of those things, you know? 
uh, I will start with the oral stories because in my book I provide I provide the reader with the plenty of examples yes. in which the oral story was transmitted without many distortions over even millennia. We've yes. got plenty of those stories and we see them for instance from geology. Some yes. stories are telling us of some geological event. I did I had all the details in my book. I won't go uh, much into it about it, but we had like science right. are telling us that let's say eight or nine thousand years ago there was a geologic event and we right. now have some like native americans who are telling or natives from other regions of the world that are telling us in their story that in the very very distant past this happened and right. it was a geological event that they cannot have a knowledge about if they hadn't lived during those times of the event so that event was you know recorded in memory and then transmitted throughout several millennia and was accurate even during you know modern times and a similar thing was with the vedas because when it comes to the vedas there are you know skeptics who say that you know vedas are only from a thousand something years bc maybe 2000 bc right. but the case with vedas is that these are the oldest written texts from those periods but we know for the fact that in india there were plenty of vedic schools like in the case of the Quran, in modern times, we have we have people who recite Quran by heart. So the same was with the Vedas. And according to the Hindu thought, for even several thousands or even tens of thousands of years before the Vedas were written down, the Vedas were actually orally transmitted. And they there were schools who were yes. really specific about it. You know, they they weren't enabling people like students to omit something or distort something. <clears throat> they were really, really strict about you know orally transmitting everything with all of the details etc and we see that the vedas are you know are even too specific to, to be honest you know to read yes. they are, you know <laughs> they are extremely boring to some extent in some cases of course right uh, when it comes to the english translation maybe the original is better but the english right. translation is sometimes horrible but you know we know that this oral transmission was very common and even the in the Hindu thought there is a mention and the same is in the Egypt that when people started writing down the information they they started losing memory and the same is in Plato's story in Plato's story Plato actually retells an Egyptian story of the god of wisdom Toth who is also connected with the buildings of the pyramids and teachers of mankind but that this another story but right. in one of his dialogues Plato is telling us a, a story of the god of wisdom Toth who introduced the alphabet the hieroglyphic script to the ancient egyptians and member of the ancient egyptians was deteriorating so rapidly that it was one of the worst moves in the entire history and before right. that there are legends that before that people had a much better memory because we were using it because we weren't able to write anything down so we had another similarity an interesting thing about you know the transmission of knowledge that was before that but when it comes to the giants, you know, we may get a little bit into conspiracy theories because <laughs> in conspiracy theories, we often say that in movies, you know, and in pop culture, we have like some hidden clues, hidden messages encoded. You know what I mean? Like some Illuminati, yes. <laughs> right. Satanist, etc. But right. 
I remember I really liked when I was a young child Transformers. And it's right. the same case like in Giants. You mentioned that the Smithsonian, uh, you know, thrown the skeletons of the Giants into the ocean. And, you know, Transformers is also has encoded plenty of messages like that and also about those history that, you know, it starts with that there were Transformers and those machines, you know, those huge robots in Egypt, right. you know, in right. Egypt, then in Greece, etc throughout the ages and they were hidden from the people you know in those like primitive some primitive right. uh, machines etc but there's a mention i think in the first transformers movie that you know suddenly they appear and they fight you know they destroy all of those cities and people are shocked that these kind of machines exist but right. after that final battle in the first movie all of the transformers that survived are told to hide away and don't right. you know appear again right. and those bodies that were destroyed that were killed those transformers are again thrown into the ocean like you <laughs> mentioned the case of the smithsonian museum so right. it is the same idea maybe encoded of that story of the giants because the that giants happens that all were... the time in movies yes because those giants throughout the ages from ancient times medieval times renaissance times even modern times those giants and mm. now we've got transformers also from the ancient times that were hiding that were hidden from the people you Is know it? what i mean yeah but these are stories that all ancient cultures have there i mean some some have all over the, the world they have their their stories that were called little people like really little mm. people and people seem to be no, this is true. And scientists have said, oh, yeah, there's there's a group of people out there that, that are like the hobbits because they're about the size of a hobbit and they mm -hmm. exist and they like to be left alone. And we're just like, oh, but yeah, we can, we're OK with some things, but other things we're just not OK with. So I guess my question to you for your opinion is if they just put it out there, we, you know, giants, who cares? We know they were out there. That, the, the evidence is there. They're pulling bones out. It's like saying the woolly mammoth never existed. You know, it's just like they're finding things. And Atlantis or other ancient cultures, go back to Tepe. Yep, it existed. Here it is. It's got this huge labyrinth underneath. And yes, we know, you know, the, the ancient library of Alexandria was there. But guess it existed. Look, we found the building blocks of it right here. We're all okay with whatever comes forward. Would we not be okay, you know, if they just said, yes, Bigfoot exists. Yes, Atlantis exists. You know, we're looking for it. We think we have bits and pieces of it. I think we would all take a step back and say, who cares, really? It's just another incredible part of this, the history of this this civilization, this planet. This, this Many came before us. Many will come after us. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I think it is the same case as with the dominance of the Catholic Church during the Middle Ages. <laughs> the whole thing. They have all the answers. <laughs> exactly, sure they have all the answers and, you know, they want yes. the peasants to be you know poor in knowledge and you know to be right. easily controlled. Then the, all of the scientific, you know, discoveries came and nowadays right. there are of course also many fundamentalists when it comes to the bible etc but right the catholic church do not does not have so much influence as it had in the middle ages the true. same now if we proved something that is wrong with the science like the atlantis etc we wouldn't 
not only trust those people who are previously manipulating us, right. but also they won't have a control anymore. They would need another kind of narrative to control us. Because, for instance, if we knew that, you know, lots of things are cyclical and right. that we are not the most advanced, maybe right. we would start searching, you know, instead of... Because nowadays, I think we are too much focused on the future. We are not living right now. We are in the, you know, constant pressure, faster, faster. And we are mostly, when it comes to, you know, the development of humanity, we are constantly thinking about the future, like ecological disaster, political right. disaster, overpopulation, right. etc. Instead of living now and, you know, solving the problems which are right now and not those which are probabilistic in the future, you know. Right. The same in the, I think, 50s or 70s, there right. was a mention by scientists, of course, casual, normal scientists, that by the 2000s, all of the glaciers will melt and everything will be <laughs> sunk just like an Atlantis. <laughs> so we are over-focused on hypothetical futuristic problems and not solving the current problems. And right. if if we happen to discover that you know everything is cyclical that we it isn't only about going forward because some some things were before us it would shift plenty of people's minds you know maybe we should also focus about our past etc and also if we not focus and we not care about our past we can easily manipulate the future and the past you know there i had a quote i have a quote in the last chapter of my book from mm -hmm. george orwell 1984 which is you know <laughs> this dystopian vision yeah and it is very interesting and it is exactly what we are talking about it is george orwell 1984 who controls the past controls the future who controls the present controls the past yes so those people who are controlling the present, the narrative, are controlling the past because the way we envision our past. And because they control the past, they control the future. That's because right. if we believe that, you know, we came from those primitive people and we need to evolve, evolve, then we can, you know, force upon people a vision of the future. Like mm -hmm. I mentioned overpopulation, climate, etc. I cannot talk yeah, about, we can't. much about no, no. it. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, I won't go yeah. specifically here. But mean, but because people are not focused on the future, it is very easy to manipulate it. And we mm. have plenty of examples. We are maybe into giants and lost civilizations, but we also see manipulations when it comes to modern history. In what Poland, you saying about we... David and Goliath? Yes, but, you know, I have a better example. In Poland, depending on which party is ruling, you know, who won the elections, every a, a few years' time, we have, like, school textbooks changed. And yes. they are changed, especially when it comes to the history. And yeah. once, you know, this man is a hero, and on the other, like, four years later, he isn't a hero anymore. It's like you know in ancient I mean? Egypt, right? The the current king would wipe out everything about mm -hmm. his predecessor. You look yes, at how so... many hieroglyphs have been chipped mm -hmm. out and just change. It's, it's the same idea, pretty much, of just but with textbooks yes. and so that's why it is very important yeah. because by controlling the past you can easily control the future right right so i don't know you have you have you know a couple of lines in the back of your book which basically says um i think along the lines of are the legends of lost civilizations only mere legends or are they based on factual events 
Um, how do we look at ancient stories and myths of lost civilizations? I think everything we've talked about falls exactly under just those exactly. two lines. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, so, exactly. I mean, if we look at conspiracy theories, a term invented by the CIA in the 70s just to try to discredit those who are catching on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, I don't believe a lot in conspiracies. I believe a lot in synchronicities. I believe a lot in oral history. I think... Um, things that get, are mistranslated, perhaps, as well. Um, you know, they look at that with the Old and New Testaments, a lot of mistranslations. And, well, we meant this. Well, a lot of people out there don't really think you did. So it's just things that I think it's very, very important in um, moving forward. I believe an open mind is always good. But this is why books like yours. I think are very popular because it makes people think mm -hmm. and yes. people have been conditioned need to think more. Mm -hmm. Yes. The problem I found with all of the skeptics, you know, they haven't even read the book and they are telling because it is, you know, lost civilizations, Atlantis, that it is, you know, hoax and charlatanism, etc. But, mm. you know, it is a thinking that is we, it is with all the science, of course, the skept, the most skeptical science, you know, yes. And yes. The, the current narrative is that, you know, we have only facts and we do not have, you know, evidence for Atlantis. So it, we shouldn't focus on that. You know, it is like being only in the known zone. You know, we have facts and we have all of the information. We do not need more. And right. it is like a mind and everything without an exploration, without an adventure of searching. And because of that, we are not making, I think, such progress. We are making a technological progress, let's be honest, etc. Maybe some minor progress, you know, maybe oh, progress in biology, chemistry, because we are still within the known zone. We are in biology, chemistry, we are analyzing like our bodies, but on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. But we are not going, as you mentioned, into the depths of the oceans no. to find no. those things. So, Well, not yet. Not yet. not yet but you know the skeptical science and that's why i do not worry anymore about all of the skeptics in the comments etc because they are they are like automatic conditioning it, it is exactly. yeah it is exactly. it's it is being only in the known zone, not going into the unknown. And right. you mentioned that we talked today about, you know, those myths and legends, etc. But what mythologists and psychologists found, I think, you know, about the hero journeys in all yes. of the not only movies, but also especially in ancient mythologies, texts like Epic of Gilgamesh and yes. other epic texts. Yes. You know, the journey of a hero is often he is in some kind like a standard legend of like a dragon that we have some kind of hero which starts yeah, to be a hero i, I love and dragons this, i did a whole show on yes dragons. but it is a great metaphor yeah. it is a hero within some like kingdom that has a problem because a, there's a dragon and the kingdom is a metaphor for the known land Yes. I mentioned it is what sciences focus on, on what is already known. We only check the details, but you know, there's an anomaly, a bigger thing, dragon, the unknown, the chaos. And you know, the kingdom has a problem because he cannot eradicate the dragon because he's 
the kingdom is only the king, let's say, is yes. only within the known zone. That's why he needs a hero, and hero goes onto his journey. He goes into the unknown. He has all of the adventures, meets mm. some like wizards, etc. And yes. because he goes into the unknown, he can fight the dragon and you know eradicate this anomaly. And it is you know the same with all of the the message about the masculine the feminine all of the ancient knowledge i recently spoke more about it it is the same thing with science science is only within the known zone within the masculine right. and it it won't go and it doesn't want to go into the unknown into the chaos right and this against going into the unknown because what i am doing i am just going onto the adventure let's check how our history really happened. Let's check if the Atlantis existed, etc. I right. have the known knowledge, those facts that I was mentioning throughout our conversation, mm -hmm. and then I right. go into the unknown. Let's check this out. Let's check the Atlantic Ocean. Let's check this. Let's check this. Right. You know, the science is saying to me in the comments, etc. No, you shouldn't do that. It is pseudoscience, etc. So it is like pseudoscience. Yes, being, that's another yes, big is, word. Yes, it is being still within the known zone. But I think right. that being within the known zone, we can't make the progress. And another big problem is, and it's also a great thing that is mentioned in the ancient text that if you are too much in the known zone and you are not going into the unknown the unknown is getting bigger bigger the anomaly is getting bigger and then the dragon eats you you know right. you are getting destroyed and that's how civilizations and lots of even regimes like the communism uh, are being destroyed and are you know eliminated are ending and maybe it's how the atlantis fell you know the unknown the anomaly is starting to grow like in science you know the anomaly of of atlantis and of lost civilization is growing right. growing and it is too big and the scientific paradigm is being shattered maybe in the future right Right. I agree with you 100%. And I wish we had more time to talk, but we're pretty much coming to the end of the show. And I, you know, we just might have to do this again and just, <laughs> just keep it all going because there is so much to touch on. And it's so difficult to do all that within, you know, close to a, a two hour time frame, unfortunately. But Please tell us again the name of the book, where to get it, and, and the website. And just know that all of this, these links, everything will be in the show description. And people will be able to go right on in and find it and just click on it. But for our audio listeners, I leave this to you. Yes, that's why I mentioned that my book is like 10 or even 20 conversations of this <laughs> yes kind, it is it's a ton <laughs> of information really the best yes. way to find me is to check the links because alexander cheshkevich to english speaker is really hard but whenever you can copy and paste my name and surname i am on instagram facebook youtube and my webpage is cheshkevichglobal.com and my book is deja vu has everything already been my name is again Alexander Cheshkevich, and you can find my book on Amazon and me whenever, wherever on the internet. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, again, we're, we're at the end of the segment, everybody. And I want to thank you all right now for tuning in. I want to thank Folgers Coffee for sponsoring not just tonight's show, but every night's show. Big thank you to Justin Snicker, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Sick, the Sonic Surgeon, for our intro. 
uh, big thank you to Steve McGinnis for all of our artwork. We appreciate you all so very much. Next week, we bring back John Polk, who's going to be talking about vortexes and such in Sedona. And we bring back Constance Victoria Briggs, who's going to be coming on Thursday night. And she's going to be talking about her new book, Earth's Galactic History. So good lineup. Good times. Have a great weekend. And thank you all again for tuning in. Good night.